Hey everybody, it's Jason. Before we get started, um, a quick note. Uh, if you'd like to help out my buddy Dan with his um, expenses for his cat who's very sick, um, if you would, go to linktr.ee forward slash D-G-O-M-I. That's linktree forward slash D-G-O-M-I. The top link there will be his donation link. And... If you're interested in supporting uh, my work while this show might be ending, I'm doing a lot of other work. Um, you can go to patreon.com forward slash stolen dress like uh, my like everybody else during the pandemic, uh, you know, had a difficult time of it myself. So uh, anything you would like to give towards some art and there will be even more art coming soon, uh, not just interviews uh, that would be highly appreciated. Uh, thank you so much. And please enjoy this fantastic interview of me by Katie Mears. I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year, 10 different ones, the album, 10 different ones, the artist, I think 10 different ones. My guest is Katie Mears. Thank you for joining me. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Now you suggested yeah? this and I don't want anybody to think that it was my ego making us do this, but you had some pretty good ideas for what your final episode on this podcast should be. So, you know. Right. Well, it was wrapping down. I didn't, you know, want to come in and pretend I had some interest in some obscure album that people haven't heard of yet. You know, I wanted to think about the podcast and all that it's been because you've been doing this for so long. And so I invited myself to come on and interview you about 10 of your favorite albums, either ones that you found because of this show or that, you know, go along with your love of this show. So I figured that would be a fun option for today. Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm down. <laughs> cool, cool. So I have this list in front of me. Mm -hmm. Do you want to dive in? Do you want to talk a little bit about this pod and what it's meant to you? or um... <laughs> What a big question. I know. <laughs> it's like you asked a me question of me. It's like well, then uh, buckle up, dude. That's why we're here. What has this podcast meant to me? I mean, you know, it's funny because you, you spent. I have been in LA. By the time this comes out, I guess I'm I'm no longer in LA. So, um, so wow. I was in LA for eighteen, hmm? yeah, eighteen plus years. And uh, the fact that I started this eight years into being there, or seven years in, whatever it was. Um, and it's like the most like connections I've made. I've honestly made some stuff with some of the people I've met through the mm. show. So it's like the mo and like and the biggest thing I've done in LA, uh, which was uh, a drinking game, the acting show started at almost the exact same time as the podcast did. So it has mm. paralleled the most stuff I've done and the best I felt about myself. And so I don't know. It was it was there along for the ride. Although this first couple years are terrible the first two episodes are unlistenable <laughs> no one should listen really? to those. oh they're terrible because we here's what do you, okay so you haven't heard them so so i can tell you what they are and then you can be like oh that's a terrible idea oh. for a podcast um, isn't weird al the very first one yeah yeah weird okay. al in three days what's so bad about that oh it's a great discussion except okay um it's me my best friend uh, i believe his wife ari is there my best friend dan gomeller talking while the album plays not about it while the oh. album plays about it did that for the first two episodes and we're like what the fuck are we doing this is that's nothing. a questionable choice this is yeah. nothing and so that's why from there on we continue to talk about <laughs> that's, it and, that's a hilarious idea <laughs> yeah it's obscene it's obscene i hate it so much oh that's 
really funny. I have since tacked on a thing at the beginning of both of those tracks uh, and said, hey, this is not how we do the show anymore. So if you're starting now, please. And I've still had people complain. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like I warned you, don't listen to these episodes. They're shit. Wow. So instead of taking them down, you're just like, let me just throw out that I don't like this. I respect I, that I a lot. leave them up. I'm a fan of leaving them up because I feel like uh, while I can't always justify my own, especially like there are some... There's some politically incorrect things that I... Because I've always been been pretty PC, but there's still a few things where I'm like, ugh, ugh, that's yeah. a cheap joke. It's a gross joke. I wouldn't do it anymore. But if somebody called me out on it, I would happily talk about it never excuse it. I just don't mind leaving it up because, eh, I don't know. Yeah, and maybe future creators will see it and be like, okay, yeah, everyone has to learn. Everyone has an arc. I hope so. Important. And if somebody absolutely turns off because of those, I can't blame them and I won't. I would never get angry at that. You know. Yeah, I think most people know by now that podcasts don't get good for a while. I think usually around 50 is where I start, because that means mm-hmm. typically a good year has passed, and they've found their groove, they know yeah. each other, they know I was what they're doing. Barely, I was no kind of interviewer before that either. I didn't know how to interview, and I don't think I thought this was an interview podcast until like Matt Besser came on. And then it was like, oh, I'm getting real people on the show, I should have actual questions. I don't know that that's a good episode either, but it's still, you know, it was something. Yeah. Yeah. It could be difficult, especially when you're nervous or especially when you're like preoccupied with other things. Always. And to to get at the right question. I also, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you're interviewing someone who's professionally funny and charming, they often are smart enough to know to not just stop talking. So you as the interviewer need to know when they're winding down or like when they're, they're searching for the next question. So you kind of do have to interrupt pretty commonly yeah. <laughs> which goes against some instincts of mine it it's really difficult. does i hate interrupting yeah. number one and i don't like filling in the blanks especially if it turns out to be the wrong blank or i filled it in the wrong way oh i do that all the time and it happens so but whatever it's it's a if it's whatever people appreciate it when it's a conversation and if you ask a couple questions they've never been asked before or ask them in an intelligent way that's never been asked before you know you know it's whatever it's a fucking crapshoot yeah. it's a crapshoot wait <laughs> honestly though wait till you hear my final episode which i have pre-recorded i've recorded that six months in advance wow and, and um i have never been more nervous i've never sounded more like an idiot although at the end he did say oh yeah no you've asked me several questions i've never been asked before i'm like okay i did something of value yes but I said, oh the the every interviewer's on. dream is that oh wow that's such a great question yeah You're right like, ah. <laughs> yep mm-hmm. <laughs> A real thing that I've been doing for about six months that has been a life changer is if I start talking at the same time as someone else, especially on Zoom, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to keep going because I'm so tired of the, no, 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 you, no, uh, Mm -hmm. and I can't, I just keep talking. So I I err on the side of being rude, frankly. It's fine. Especially I, I had an interview and I don't think I cut it together all that well either. Not that long ago where the delay was literally between five and ten seconds because of their internet versus my internet and they were on a phone and i was on a wired for anybody out there if you're going to do stuff (laughs) wire your computers up you just have a wired internet connection if you can it helps so much just just a little (laughs) tip um but yeah and it was it was we were interrupting each other terribly or i'd make a joke that he genuinely found funny but i wouldn't hear him laugh until 10 seconds after i told it oh my gosh how do you how do you even I would have given up so quickly. I wanted to so bad. And he was so sweet. I think he was mostly just a sweetheart and he had some brilliant things to say. And it was a really good, it was a good episode outside of that. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when he did his Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy impressions, well, then that's the shit I eat up. Like, if you can do a good impression of a comedian, I'm, I, that's worth the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Especially the ones that aren't done that often, because yeah. that means they were really paying attention. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Yeah. Well, I have to say, this would have been probably, I think I found your show around 2013 or 2014, because it was mm-hmm. when I was in early-ish college. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was first really getting into nerdy comedy, because I had a radio show where I played two hours of comedy a week. That's amazing. And I, yeah, it was a blast. I learned so much, got exposed to so much. Um, they didn't want me to have the radio show because they were scared I wouldn't be able to keep it clean because it had to be super, super clean for Hamilton, New York radio. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave me like 8 to 10 p.m. on Saturday nights. Assuming that I would say no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, joke's on you guys. I don't have any friends. And I'm ready to do this. <laughs> and it ended up being just one of my favorite things. I got obsessed with comedy. But finding finding your show, like, if I wanted to listen to an, an older album that I didn't really have any context for, to listen to it and then be able to hear you and a guest chat about it just meant the world really helped like situate things and helps me to realize, like, oh, this is something that lots of people give shits about. And that, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a whole world of people who care about this old world of comedy. And that meant a ton. Oh, well, that, that means a lot to hear. It is, a, it is an increasingly smaller world, which is fine. It is what it is. But mm. um, because I, I've struggled to get people sometimes, some people have not done the show because they're like, I never listen to a comedy on vinyl. And I'm like, well, okay, what? how can we work around this? And a few times I totally just disregarded the vinyl thing. I've stopped doing that since. But yeah, yeah it's, it's gotten harder. Like some people didn't listen, like Jackie Cation fully admitted, she's like, I didn't listen to comedy albums growing up. And she's brilliant. Mm. She's hilarious. But she was yeah. a special person. She watched specials mostly. So she watched TV. So it's sure. hard. It is, a, it is a thing that drops off. You have to be a specific type of nerd to love the theater <laughs> of the mind part. Or, right. you know, have been given a bunch of vinyl, which I was. So oh, sure. That's why I started listening to it that way. You know that joke towards the beginning of Let's Get Small, mm-hmm. where Steve Martin says at the beginning of every show, I like to do something impossible, so I'm going to suck this piano into my nose. <laughs> like, <laughs> as a child, to hear that and just be on stage and be like, wait, what did he do? I have no idea what uh-huh. happened, because there's a pause and the whole audience laughs. Loves it. And that's that's part of the fun. of like, I still, do you know what... You did? I, I don't, but here's what somebody once proposed. They were like, oh, I always assumed that was a cocaine joke, that there was a line or a fake line of cocaine, or he just pretended <laughs> to sniff a line off the piano. I'm like, I guess that could be the joke. I don't know. But That doesn't seem like doesn't it would get the eruption that no, it got. it doesn't. Yeah. So, Steve, you're welcome so on the show. So this is part of the game, yeah. you know? I, yeah. And you can only hear it, you just don't understand. Yeah. Uh, and oh it gives you this false confidence that anything can be funny, too, because you're like, oh, I wonder what that was. Let me figure it out. Maybe I could be that funny. If oh, try and, like, reverse engineer it. Yeah, which is impossible, but fun. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and dive in. I have a list okay. in front of me that you gave me a bit ago of 10 vinyls that we're going to talk through. Mm-hmm. We're going to start at number 10, and that is Conan O'Brien and the Legally Prohibited Band at Third Man. Yeah. <laughs> what a title. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yes, talk to me about this. I've listened to it only once, and 
I'm trying to remember where the comedy is on here. So this is a stretch. The only re I, if I'm not mistaken, it, because Third Man does like straight up live recordings. Let me see. I don't. I don't even know if there are any tracks on this. There might be tracks. If there you're listening, he has the album in front of him. He's I opening it do, up. I do, and I didn't know what order we were going in because I forgot what order I sent them to you, and I do not have them sitting here. Or they have. Pro they do have proper tracks, but I feel like he does talk and bullshit between them, like he does mm. comedy. And the thing is, so. I would say my three biggest like comedy heroes before I started this podcast are Mel Brooks, Weird Al, and Conan. And like Conan was huh. somebody I thought I was gonna be. I thought I was gonna be like a talk show host. That it had hmm. never even occurred to me, by the way, when I was doing a podcast. Oh, you're kind of doing that. You're kind of doing yeah. that. And it never occurred to me until like years later. But Conan's a big hero of mine. I've seen him live a few times. You know, I've seen his show live a few times. Got my mom the little VIP tour behind the scenes once or twice because I know a few of the oh, writers. Wow. Never met Conan personally, but I was like, well, I, feel, I like, because of the podcast, I felt I had to have some representation of him on the show. Or and he's like a big part of your story. He mm -hmm. is. Like, he was, when I started, started doing comedy, which I have to put in quotes because I was 13 and recording in the attic of my home with a VHS camera. Oh my God. We would have these sketches where I would make fun of Conan sometimes, like some of the, because I hated Conan when he came on, because I loved Dave, I hated him so much. Then I turned 15. Fascinating. Yeah. I turned 15 and I turn on some fucking special where he's like, hey, it's it's like, uh, I don't remember what the fucking setup was, but long story short, there's a turkey who shits presents on the, on the audience. I'm like, this is fucking terrible. I turned it off. 16, <laughs> I turn it on again. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. I get the absurdity. Oh, and suddenly conflict with me and becomes like my hero. Hated yeah. him. Hated him. It, it, nobody so can replace my Dave, even though Dave was on another network. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then became a hero of mine. And then I don't know, like, and I've always wanted to meet him and sit down with him for five seconds. Um, but, you know, I'm not in the 1%, so I'm never going to get in a room with him um, as far as podcasting is <laughs> concerned. So, um, no insult. I'm just saying there are a lot of rich people on this podcast. Um, and I, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I've always found him funny. I'm looking forward to every iteration of his new of his show. Every time it changes, I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's just well, a hero. He's had a big change coming, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think it's going to be a variety show. Did I hear that correctly? Not sure. I don't even know. Like, I'm not sure what it's going to be. But I mean, that's always been his strength: is sketch. Yeah. Like, the sketches that were in between the interviews that he didn't care about doing. You know. Right. <laughs> but he was good at it anyway. But he didn't care about doing them, I and mean, not in the way yeah. that Dave did. Like they had a total different type of disconnect from their their guests. Right. So, and I, I, yeah, did so. you watch the documentary about this tour? Yes, I did. Because for people listening, this is the album from the tour that yes. he did during that like awkward six months mm -hmm. after the Jay Leno fiasco before he moved to TBS. Is that yeah, it? yeah, yeah? I was supposed I to go to one of those Tonight Shows doc. too. I was supposed to go to that that last Tonight Show and it never happened. What happened? What felt? I through? can't remember. I feel like my so my I feel like my wife stood in line for tickets. And then some shit happened where we didn't. We either got the tickets, and then some shit happened with my terrible job at the time, and I couldn't go. Something prevented me, and I was livid, oh. livid about yeah. it. Yeah, that's worth quitting a job over if you Just if about. he's your guy. Yeah, I know. frankly, I know. I should. I remember watching that documentary when I didn't have a foundation of who Conan was, mm -hmm. and being like. I don't know if I like this person. Oh yeah, it does not paint him well. He nope. looks like a maniac. He in absolutely it. does. Yeah. No. And I. I mean, I. That's one of those things where, like, I've applied uh, when I was back when I was looking to do production work again. I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll try. I'll try. And then once I saw the documentary, I'm like, I'm kind of glad I didn't get hired because even if this is a bit, I'm thin skinned yeah. and I couldn't handle the bit. Oh, no, really? Yeah, I can't. And I can't handle yeah. when comedians live in the bit too much. 
which Buddy, I get the temptation. That's a lot of it. I know. I get the temptation, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, no. I, he's. I'm a big fan of meeting your heroes. He might be one who could. <laughs> Who could really, really could fuck with that? Yeah, he might. He might. I don't know. He might That's be. Because I think he's genuinely a good human being. But his temptation to play the asshole might overpower that. So I don't know. Right. I just, I'm just so skeptical. I'm very prejudiced, I suppose. But I just assume anyone who has over X amount of money is a dick. Same. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just it's hard for me to pull away from that. But I understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Number nine on our list. We have the Ruddles soundtrack. Oh, okay. So yeah, is that pronounced yeah. correctly? Oh yeah, absolutely right. Oh my oh. god, you, have you never seen it? Have you never I seen it? <gasps> Tell me everything. You might hate it. So here's the thing. I, like, well, just... I did some preliminary googling. Sure. I obviously am familiar. The but, original uh... thing I sent you was this was this single, which I've actually never listened to, but these sing- songs are all on there. But I, I couldn't pass up. So this is a single, which I just love because their photos are not on the cover of the, uh, <laughs> the original. Long story right. short, the Ruddles is a is is a Beatles parody group. Um, that Eric Idle created, but all the music was done by Neil Innes, who plays kind of the John Lennon character. Um, mm-hmm. And Neil Innes sings, I think, every part, plays almost every part. This is Neil Innes's album. As uh, it, the movie might be Eric Idle's masterpiece, but uh, it's Neil Innes's music. And, Interesting, because um, the music was way better than I thought it would be when I heard it was a parody band. Perfect. It is. <laughs> they supposedly got sued. They're, one of theirs was so close sounding. Um, really. But yeah. if you're under parody law, unless it's different in England, you know, and that's the thing. And well, the and the <clears throat> parody law, I think, gets misunderstood even by me half the time. Like, there's there's so much, there's not as much wiggle room as you think there is. I think, and that's the huh. problem. But and this is the cover of the actual soundtrack, which is uh, sorry, there we go. So there's the four wow. obvious, you know, they're just straight rips of, of Beatles things, and some of their the songs are basically nonsense Beatles songs. Um, but they're perfect because Neil Innes is, uh, was, uh, had this immense attention to detail and I love mockumentaries and I love fake histories and I love, mm. again, we were talking about this beforehand, uh, where you set yourself up with, with a world that you control, but sounds like it might be part of the real world. And right. there's just so much to that. And also it's sort of like uncanny Valley. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Eric Eric Idle in this is is uh, the Paul part, but he also is he's also the narrator and the news guy following uh, the the story. George Harrison makes a, an appearance in this because if I'm not mistaken, wait, George Harrison's in it. He's in it briefly. Uh, if I'm That's not mistaken, fun. this is one of the things he paid for. One of the py- many many Python movies he paid for. I could be wrong. Oh. But I think he did. This is also filled with. Uh, a who's who. I mean, Paul Simon is in this trying to act. Uh, you've got Bill oh. Murray is in this. Uh, Billy Crystal. I think Martin Short. John Belushi, wow. I think, is in this. A lot of SNL people. Um, and But the music's good. The music's beautiful and brilliant. And I will say, when I interviewed Neil Innes, it's one of the highlights of the podcast. Because he just, you know was very open and he was a genius and i don't know there's there's not a lot of people who can top that interview yeah what was he just very gracious at this time what did you guys talk about we talked about i was most interested in obviously the ruddles but also the fact that like like he's parodying the beatles in this very big open way but he also like his band the bonzo dog doodah band were friends with the beatles they were in the same art scene as the beatles so they were all (laughs) hanging out at the same time all doing roughly the same shit and okay, interesting. And they are in... Okay, here. This is the weird thing. This is like... So, uh, 
in here it's the tragical history tour. Um, but <laughs> like the 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 Bonzo Dog Doodah Band are in the Magical Mystery Tour movie, playing some parts. So like that's how close they were. So he was pairing yeah. a buddy of his. But he's he is this crossover between Python and the Beatles, um, and he's like this center point. Like um, John Hodgman, I always feel like is a center this weird center mass of the internet world uh, at least a lot of things i love like some of my favorite podcasts and artists also have this relationship to him neil Innes has that with oh, the fucking beatles and python okay and, like, he's like the fulcrum he really product. is and underappreciated okay. over here i think yeah clearly clearly yeah. i think it's a mel brooks quote that you have to love something to parody it well and it yeah. seems like he knows his shit there oh yeah and he sounds yeah. so much like john lennon that it's it's remarkable and paul he does them all very well like if he needs yeah. to sound like them, yeah, I don't even know. I that's one of those interviews where I was very nervous and I have no idea how well it went. I remember liking it and he was very kind and was up for doing it again, but he passed away before he could, so but that was a good one. That was a really good that's one. That's so special that you got him. Yeah. Yeah, he was nice. He and he was still the thing is like again, that influential, doing okay, but he was also like kickstarting a record and I was like, What the why are you kickstarting? And like the shit he was selling off as part of like like props and things from very important stuff as far as I'm concerned in com- comedy history and music history for very little yeah. I was like Jesus Christ <laughs> man it makes me sad when that stuff goes away yeah why do you think that the Reynolds isn't more in the canon like I never hear it being talked about um wow I don't even know because it's not strictly Python but it is obviously very Python-esque um, mm-hmm. so you would think because of that, and I don't know, maybe it just disappears too much. Maybe it's too much like the Beatles. Maybe it's not off kilter enough in terms of what it's parodying to be, to stand out to some people. But to me, that's what yeah. I love about it. I love that in some cases it is almost unrecognizably different. Like it's almost exactly the same thing. Right. Man, it sounds like they nailed it. If yeah. that was what they were doing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to... Number eight, another international pick here. We have Great White North by oh, Bob and Doug McKenzie. What a choice. Come on. <laughs> have you heard this record? No, I haven't. Okay. I've heard, I, I'm familiar with them and sure. I've seen their sketches. But. Sure. Um, well, you know, that's the thing too. It's like, I haven't seen all that much SCTV. I know that my mom made me watch Strange Brew when I was too young to get any of it. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Okay. I don't know my brother loved it when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. All right, so that was uh, so it was a thing in your family a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, a bit, yeah. This record was suggested to me by the writer Elon Mastai, who wrote I can't remember the name of the movie. I'm very sorry, but he's also written on This Is Us or one of the one of those fucking shows that I don't bother to watch because it's a drama and I don't care. Nothing against sure. him. I don't give a damn about those okay. shows. But he sure. suggested this, and I'm like, okay, this could be fun, but uh, it's the most Canadian thing on the planet. It is. Of it is based exclude i mean it, it is a it is a leap that was made where uh canadian content regulations which i'm obsessed with uh basically dictated that you had to have at least so much canadian strictly canadian content on your show and there was this gap in the programming i think if i'm not mistaken somebody's telling me this the other day and they're like yeah you need a minute of canadian content on your show explicitly canadian content and their middle fingers were let's make the two most stereotypical canuck guys with toques on who sound like this and you know talk and drink beer all the time and that's what they decided to do let's give them exactly that exactly (laughs) and it becomes the biggest thing that sctv ever created uh, outside of a million brilliant careers 
But this record is also meta. It is about the making of a record. It does not give a fuck. Um, from what I understand, oh. also, the Strange Brew album might be the same. I think we're going to be discussing that soon on the podcast with somebody. Uh, soon, oh. meaning they've already heard it. So I hope past. you guys like that episode. <laughs> um, but it, I really like meta records. I love mm-hmm. a record that knows that it's a record. Um, yeah. Seems get, like you're really into fourth wall and oh, what is and what isn't. That's your jam. It's heaven to me. It is heaven <laughs> to me. Um, and it'll come up again in this list. But it, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a cheap thing, too. It's also very cheap if it's done wrong. But this doesn't do it cheaply. And the record sounds good. The music's great. Getty Lee is on here. It's so good. I don't even, and I, by the way, I couldn't tell you what any of the sketches are about. I can't remember. It's just one of those things that I will listen to and know I'm enjoying it. I haven't memorized it. It's none of that. It's just, right. I love that it's meta. I love the character work. And, yeah. uh, oh, and also by now I will have interviewed Dave Thomas. So, uh, Whoa. yeah, he just agreed to do it the other day. So <laughs> provided right. nothing goes, goes bad, then yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very meta. It's very Canadian. I love Canadian things. And it, yeah. it's anything from roughly this period that is Canadian is also right on the cusp of Canada taking over American comedy for good. And uh, Right. Like, just for reference, John Candy, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy. Yeah. Like, this is the world that we're, we're talking about. These Rick old Moranis, 80s, obviously, 90s, is one of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so I was looking up Rick, Rick Moranis data right and so this album is 81 yeah and then strange Brew is 83 and then 84 is ghostbusters mm-hmm. and then it's just like bam rick moranis everywhere oh yeah 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 i he feel like i didn't think he was appreciated as much and then when that assault happened last oh. year and the whole world was furious yeah. they're like don't you mess with Mm-mm. rick moranis well, also so also like that that poor motherfucker, he quit the business because he lost his wife and needed to take care of his kids. And people are like, right. why are you acting more, Rick? And he's like, I'm fine, financially. Yeah. I lost yeah. my wife. I have children who need to be raised. Yeah, Goodbye. he was just like, bye, I'm going to go be a single dad and do my thing. Though in the interim, it should Incredible. be pointed out, he made one or two comedy albums, Hanukkah albums. Sure. Um, and one was, a West, one was a Western one and one was strictly a Hanukkah album. Um yeah, so he did give some stuff, but people just didn't pay yeah. attention to the fact that those were out there. Right. Yeah. There's a couple cinnamon rolls left on this podcast, but he might be the like king of the cinnamon rolls currently on this list. He's God, I love him so much. <laughs> I played Dark Helmet on stage once, and I've got to say that was like a highlight. Absolutely. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's good stuff. Little Shop was enormous for me growing up. I'm such a musicals person, and he's Same. he's incredible, and he's the only well cast Seymour I've ever seen they always pick hunks and it never makes sense yeah. oh Jake perfect. Gyllenhaal great yeah good, Give me a good break. job come on now that man is never <laughs> and Jonathan Groff did it life. really come on come yeah on. no no sorry insulting yeah, I, it's one of those things too where I think as a little nerdy kid I was never actively looking up to him but I'm like okay that's cool like in the back of your head you're like I could maybe I could maybe do that right <laughs> When you see famous people that don't look like traditional famous people, you get reminded of like, oh yeah, character actors are a thing, and this yeah. is like, you know, you, mm-hmm. you need all types of people to build out a world in a movie exactly. or TV show. Exactly right. Yeah. And I, I, I also think, yeah, boy, I want to, I want to do uh, the show that, like, again, the show that I'm in. We just do a stage reading every, every, and I want to do Little Shop so badly. One month yes. we performed in a stage where they were doing a showing of Little Shop, where they were doing Little Shop, and I'm like, guys, it's right the fuck here. Can we please come do on? It? <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. It's the freaking best. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> 
Okay, Sorry, number I'm talking seven. about nothing. I'm rambling like a motherfucker. Oh, my God, no. Okay. Have fun. It's your show. Let's mm, live our lives. But sure. I have to say, number seven coming up next is mm-hmm. perhaps the most Jason thing on this mm, list. Please. And that is Pat Paulson's I president. thought you might say that. Okay, good. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. I don't know if I've listened to this one, but I know I know the bits. Like, I know plenty of the bits. Um, mm-hmm. And Pat Paulson, oh, God. I mean, if you want to talk about, like, so... Bob Newhart is considered to be like the epitome of deadpan. He's whatever's below deadpan, where he's right. playing like he's half dead. And um, right. oh, this is a broken fucking sleep. This is destroyed. Um, so for people who don't know, this is a fake presidential candidate. Yes, he's a fake president. This is from, if I'm not mistaken, it's got to be 68. Yeah, 68. 68. And um, everybody, I mean, you know, everybody was so angry with with uh, everybody post Kennedy, um, and it was it just only yeah. got worse and worse and worse. And I am obsessed with political comedy once we get to Nixon for sure. Um, even though they all all those albums run into one another and basically are the same record. There's there's at least thirteen of them that I know of, and they all are basically the same record. This yeah. Pat Paulson is just doing these brilliantly satirical bits. About let's see, what, they gotta have the guns one on here. Where's the? Because I know he did a lot of these on the Smothers Brothers, but he was a guy. Right, I was gonna say, and he's perfect for Smothers Brothers. Oh, he's so good on that show, and he would just mm-hmm. do. Oh, here's an actual bit where he physically has a censored box on his mouth. This is back when censorship <laughs> actually existed, and it was okay to complain about censorship because censorship <laughs> actually happened. Um, yeah, uh, I um, I wrote down a quote from one of his things that I watched that I had to. Uh-huh. This is the only full quote I wrote down, but it was so amazing. Mm-hmm. He's so he's like denying that he's actually running, and he said, "They seem to assume that I'm lying when I state that I am not a candidate for the presidency." True, all the present candidates once denied that they had any intention of running, but the fact that I am also a liar doesn't make me a candidate. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a lot of that. Like, it's so perfect, but it's also like, nobody was doing this shit outright. It was not as cool to fucking shit on the president or politics in general. You had to accept that it was there. And he was an older guy. He was older than the Smothers Brothers. So Mm -hmm. he was also coming on as, you know, he did stand up. Um, but this was his character. His bit was, it was always Pat Paulson for president. And I have, uh, you know. And visually it works so well because he looks like the most boring guy in the room. 100%. And sounds like because he would talk like this and and just, you know, those are the, and uh, he would do this. uh, What's the fucking bit about the guns? It's not on here. It doesn't look, why did I think it was? It doesn't matter. Uh, Take a gun control speech? Yeah. And and but long story short, he does it on the Smothers Brothers, and basically we shouldn't have gun control. And then his gun accidentally goes off, kills the cameraman, and then that's the end of the bit. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, you know, yeah. the argument is there are enough idiots out there that maybe we should have some gun control. And it's a, it's a simple bit. And this was like, I have this. I have the Pat Paulson bumper sticker somewhere. I've got a pin somewhere. I don't collect a lot of oh. shit related to this stuff, but uh, th- yeah. this in particular I I love because. I was running a fake presidential campaign for fucking 12, 16 years. And, uh, right. And yeah. when I talked Will Rogers with you, he's okay. another one who had a fake presidential campaign. There, it's, it's something that I'm fascinated with. There, like so many people have. Uh, what's um, mm, 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 Gracie. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gracie Allen. She also had one. She had, it's one of the female, oh, really? like, female-led ones that I can remember. Um, and I think wrote a book. Oh, no, I have the Pat Paulson book, too. There's a book that goes with this book. <laughs> so there's a book, there's the album, there's all this stuff. I'm just obsessed with people thinking it's a fun idea to do a fake presidential run. Like, yeah. And while it, by the time when I was a kid, like, 
Howard Stern was doing it, and it was like supposed to be like, look at this new funny, hilarious thing, but people had obviously been doing it for a second. And you were like, Howard, get with it. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, <laughs> look back at Pat Paulson. Yeah, I totally knew who that was as a kid. Let's pretend. Yeah. Or my boy Will. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure lots of people before then. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I believe if memory serves, it was Will Rogers for president and the four Marks Brothers That's as what the it was. Yeah. joint vice president. <laughs> <So smart. laughs> what a dream. <laughs> oh, I love it. And not to totally, I, oh good, I didn't, I didn't pick a Dick Davy record for this because I feel like I've talked about him enough. But he did a, he was uh, this Minneapolis uh, DJ named Dr. Bop ran for president and his vice president was Dick Davy. Like, so that was their. Oh, their, nice. Yeah, it was just an excuse to have something to talk about when Dick came into Mini, uh, Milwaukee, I'm sorry, when he would come into Milwaukee and come on the station. Um, gotcha. Then there were also a fair amount of like Stuart Colbert oh, for sure. jokes back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just continues to crop up. It's sort of like fan casting. Like just people wish, people hope, people are so tired of, yeah. of bullshit. Let yeah. them have it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little fantasy. It's, get, it's getting um, a little too scary though because it's starting to feel like Dwayne Johnson might actually want to run and that's a, just a terrible idea. It's, um, I mean, Kanye 2024, let's go. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> it says a lot about me that when he first announced that, by the way, back in 2015, that I took it as an affront and I had to make mm. a, a joke about it. Like I had to make a gag video about it. I'm like, fuck you, Kanye. Don't step on my shit. You can't be serious, but I'm going to, you know, exactly. You yeah. Know. Get out, dude. Mm-hmm. Hey, rolling in to number six, we have Songs of Couch and Constellation by Katie Lee. This is 57. This is so good. I forget that it's, I can't believe it's that old. Jesus Christ. Well, when I interviewed her, she was like 96. Oh, wow. Maybe, and still one of the Mm -hmm. most lively interviews I've ever had in my life. Um, It was by phone. She was in Arizona at the time. She was an environmentalist and activist her whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the only version of this record. You can find a thousand versions of this. This is the only one with actually her on the cover. Um, The rest are just random women, like models, and some random Oh, interesting. I don't know why on the reissues they didn't keep her on the cover. Uh, No idea. And she's barely even considered to be a part of this record because I don't think she wrote these. But oh, um, she's she's the she's the performer of these folk songs that are all of this. This is so of an era, late fifties, yeah. mid to late fifties, where the whole gag and I've got other records like this. The whole gag is analysis, as they would call it at the time. It was right. just let's talk about analysis. <laughs> Because Let's get it, Freudian in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it was a mix of like, this is the new thing, but isn't it funny that people are talking about their feelings? Um, yeah, all right. Well, and isn't this album pretty notorious in like record collecting circles and things it, like that? It might be. I don't know. Yeah. I don't see this. I think I it's seen as like an early counterculture. That makes sense. Specimen. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it touches upon a lot of, uh, you know, as they did at the time. It was probably, would it have been, the term sick humor wasn't a thing yet, I don't believe, but it, it's it's on that level. It's a few, it's a few years before the sickness. Yeah, you said 57, right? Proper, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, but the songs are very good. She's got a beautiful voice. Like, it is one of those things where, like, you can do it. It sounds it, genuine. It, exactly. If, if you don't listen to the lyrics. If you do like a, a, a comedy, if you do a comedy music record and you don't have, you know, a genius musician, a bunch of musicians putting it together, you probably have not done your, your work just because that's why Weird Al works. You know what I'm saying? Like they're yeah. all very good at what they do. And this is a brilliantly put together record. And um, 
Uh, I'm not the only person, like I got an email after I interviewed Katie Leaves, like I've never had a crush on a 90 year old woman before, but I don't know hey. what to do about these feelings. You can't not. She was the most yeah. just fucking energetic, like just, just magnetic. beautiful soul. Like she, and all mm -hmm. she wanted to do at the time was like, yeah, she's, she was talking about, if I remember correctly, cause she was talking about, I, I, I apologize for not remember the exact, it was some part of Arizona that she was uh, very big on the preservation of. And then in the background, she's like, I'm sorry, there are these, there are these, fucking motorcycles driving through she's like i wish i'd like put up a trip line so that you know basically knock their heads off she was just like the most like ah. violently protective of the of the environment well, didn't she like save some rivers or something like i she, i remember reading she about had a huge part activism. and stuff like that yeah yeah it's incredible yeah so her whole life was spent just mostly taking care of like the country that she genuinely sang about. She's one of those, she's, yeah. she's a part of that pie where somebody who like did folk music, but actually gave a fuck rather than sure. just went on to having a career and doing nothing about the stuff she, she claimed to love. And, uh, oh my so God. Funny. And this, this record is like a blip in her career, but she had plenty to say about it. And just, I don't know, just a great fucking interview. And then, yeah. She's one of the, she passed away like a year after that, but, um, thank Christ her archives went somewhere. It, that, that's one of the things right. that scares me the most is when these people die, sometimes those archives go in the garbage. Oh, heartbreak. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she is so talented and, you know, there's lots of musical comedians where the bit is sort of connected to the fact that the music isn't very good. Yeah. But those are less likely to stick around. Like, if I think in my head about those ones, mm -hmm. they, are, they didn't really turn into as much. We no. can name names later on. I'll sure, think, but. sure, yeah. <laughs> and there are plenty of people who are just like, you know, there's always the the thing where all comedians hate a comic who brings a guitar up on stage, and I, right. kind, I kind of get that. But it's also like, if that's just an element of what you do, and you're kind of barely doing a thing, it's like, eh, yeah. when this, this whole record is a well-put-together, well-oiled fucking you know musical album um right and it's good and it's it's just weird to me that it's 44 minutes or whatever of jokes about going to see a psychiatrist <laughs> that that was something yeah. people bought but they did i'm a big fan of comedy that's not necessarily musical but there is just like a guitar or a piano in the background sure i'm I not mean, exactly sure what that is but i love when i see it you don't see that as much nowadays but no i mean so the only person i can think me. of is zach galifianakis and i don't even know if he's done that in years probably not dimitri martin used to do it oh, nick right. Thune would do it mm -hmm. yeah okay. there's okay. there's a story of dimitri martin showing up at the cellar like with his guitar and accoutrement and getting a bunch of shit you know because yeah you're totally right that a lot of comedians feel defensive about it mm -hmm. um I heard an interview once with Bo Burnham where he was talking about how it is sort of cheating mm -hmm. because you can play a chord on a guitar and make someone feel a feeling mm -hmm. that might take you a paragraph verbally to make them feel, which yeah. I thought was a really insightful way to put it. It's a shortcut, you know, but yeah. if you have something worth saying, then that shortcut shouldn't be a detriment. It's a tool. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it is. Um, okay, next on this list, I have to preface, mm -hmm. this might be the hipsteriest thing on this list, mm -hmm. and I know that that's true because when I googled it, mm -hmm. your face was the fourth uh -oh. Google image result. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. This is A Gift You Never Asked For From Friends You Never Had mm -hmm. by Jared Jeffries and Peyton Brown, mm -hmm. 2017. This record is... Okay, so I have to like do a you know some full disclosure shit because... Uh, right now, I, I quote-unquote distribute this, which basically means I enable them to possibly sell more through my very tiny record label, right? Um, because mm. I love it. 
and but it was sent to me by Jared because he loved the podcast, and he's like, "Look, I've been working for four years trying to get this record finished, and it is nothing if not like a tribute to slash like it is." Um, well, I don't I don't want to say that. That would sound like it's a ripoff. It's not a ripoff. It's very much a fire sign record. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. Um, it's a fire sign record, but okay. it came out in. Again, 2016, 2017. 2017. Thank you. I should know this, but I don't. Um, <laughs> and they put it together themselves, and it's so dense that, like a fire sign record, I have trouble getting through it. But I, that is a compliment because it, it just means there's just there's so, so much, much going on. just packed in. Yeah. It's a concept album, is that right? Exactly right. There's a lot about tech. There's a lot about medicine, and it uses a lock loop at the end of the second record to drive home a point about technology that I've never heard anybody do before. Because usually, a lock loop is meant to stop it to stop the track entirely and you can't move on to the next track without physically moving it but this rarely does a lock loop end where there's dialogue being said as it keeps looping and as it keeps looping and uh, i don't like to give it away but i I love it and they've also never released this digitally um and that's where the hipster stuff comes in and it is an exclusively (laughs) vinyl thing so i never pushed them to do digital i would never do that because they just they love the format and i this sure. is the only I think the reason this is symbolic is because in my time doing the show this is like this is the first this is the first thing that came about during my time doing the podcast that really felt like the kind of shit I was talking about because mm-hmm. I have a ton of friends who or or at least acquaintances who run all of the the comedy record labels and they're usually putting out stand-ups get it I get right. it that's what that's what there is nobody's doing this nobody's doing what I want to do which is sketch comedy but this is, again, deeper than anything I would ever write, more of a concept than I could ever fucking put together, um, <laughs> and too hard to fucking keep track of if you have my my brain. Whatever's wrong with my brain has a lot of trouble Aww. keeping track with it, of it, yeah. and I love it. I love all the jokes. The, there's some jo- Oh, fuck, what's... Mm. No, I don't want to give away any jokes, but there's, there's there are a couple <laughs> really good jokes that are punny and stupid, and at the same time, you're meant to contemplate the meaning of life and what technology is doing to us in a way that is Whoa. new. Like it's not like. Can you give us just like, like a little elevator pitch about I can't. what the, I can, the line is? <laughs> you know, what? I can read the back of it. I can read the back back read of the it. Back which, of it yeah. Was. So because again, it's been a while since I've heard it. I, I I picked it mostly because of what it meant to me. The fact that it came out during the show, you know. Um, yeah. You're only so cool. Known, they they look to you. Yeah. Well, it was very kind of them to send it to me. And I'm like, hey, do you want me to distribute it in quotes? And they said, sure. Why not? Um, you're only now hearing about Peyton Brown and Jared, Jared Jeffries, but not for long. The album you hold in your hands barely contains some of the most comedy happen some of the most comedy happening today, and possibly more. There's nothing more <laughs> thrilling than two great comedy minds coming together, and this album proves how rare that is. I'm pleased to say that it was a long time coming, but now the record's been pressed, and we think you will be too. So that's just a comedy thing on the back. It doesn't tell you what it's about. Here's the problem. Um, no. There's again, there's a lot of food, pop culture, medicine, and science, and time travel, if I'm not mistaken. Which, by the way, is oh. I'm also obsess- obsessed with. Um, so I can't tell you what it's, what it's about. I, I wish I could. I could. I, I. Oh my god! Are you kidding? What does it mean to be obsessed with time travel? I love it. Is a. It is the cheatiest, cheapest concept, unless you do it brilliantly. Like one of my favorite movies growing up was Back to the Future. So I think it's inevitable that mm-hmm. that kind of thing is going to stick in your brain. But um, like my other. My, my podcast with Dan, who I previously mentioned, which is called Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, uh, has only gotten funny in recent years, and that's because we finally introduced, like, other dimensions, and, uh, like, yesterday or today, I just released an episode where we 
uh, interview Lizzie Borden because why? why oh, and so you've got a lot of lore, a mm-hmm. lot of you know roads in and out of yourselves. Yeah. Got so it. if you, but if you can do that well, which is usually better than I do it, then I, I appreciate it. And again, I, I apologize to Jared and Jeffrey, to ugh, Jared Jeffries and Peyton Brown for not pitching this record as well as I could. Just let if you guys want to hear a, a fire sign album that is not a fire sign album and is put together with very pristine beautiful digital technology because that's how they put it together um it's a very good record it's just very funny and there are a couple jokes that i don't want to i just don't want to ruin that did make me laugh and they are obviously the most punny lowest common denominator <laughs> jokes but that's fine i love them yeah what can you tell us about Jared and Peyton themselves? Who are they? Oh, my God. Um, they're two very funny comedians who, if I'm not mistaken, at one point they were both in Chicago. I think now one's in Chicago, one's in New York. Um, I know more about Jared only because Jared is also, unfortunately, a very good musician. I hate how good of a musician this guy is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, been, he's put out two or, th- no, three EPs during the pandemic. And they are all three entirely different sounds. And they're all beautiful. They're all very, very Ooh. good. Um, and I've spoken to them both, um, but Jared Jared makes his presence known a little more in terms of like constantly putting shit out more than most people, so that's why that is standing out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know them most as uh, Chicago comedians, and they're uh, I don't know, and th- this was just their passion. I don't know why either. Like, I don't know enough about the stuff that they were obsessed with growing up. Um, I actually would like to have them both on at some point to talk about. Well, yeah. I don't have a whole lot of time left to do that, but yeah, it would be. A good <laughs> maybe make that happen yeah the, the vague philosophical future mm-hmm. um i had texted some canadian friends by the way before you and i talked to get their hot takes on uh the great white north because mm-hmm. i was i wanted to make sure i understood <laughs> you know the full canadianness of it because sure. i have more canadian friends than i thought i did yeah anyway <laughs> let's jump back in Okay, number four on your list, we have Think Fuzzy by Dawson mm-hmm. and Harrell. This is 65. Is that right? Tell me about these uh, guys. Let me see. It says 66, but it might be 65, <gasps> honestly. I said 65 on Wikipedia, so who do we know? Ooh, who do we here, trust? Oh, you know what? Here's the funny thing. It says 65 <laughs> on the back and 66 on the front, which doesn't Stop. surprise me. doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Is this a backyard pressing? What is this? This is so good. Oh, yeah. Basically. Yeah, that's yeah. how I want to talk about it. I'm so is... I, so this is not the one I first discovered. The one I first discovered by them is called Mr. Silver Spitz Dawson, and the only reason I grabbed it is because it's a, the cover is a dog in a man's suit, and it's so stupid. It's a real dog. It's a real dog, and I think they probably put a suit over. I don't remember how they did it, but it doesn't matter. These guys. Okay, how do I even begin? Um, so. I was doing these episodes called Family Albums back in 2018. I still would like to do some more before I end, and I might. So by the time this is coming out, hopefully you've heard some. Uh, where I talk with like family members who of uh, basically usually family members of people who have died who made really good comedy albums. So that's why I oh, talked to sure. John Meter's widow. Um, I talked to this guy, um, uh, Rand Hughley, whose dad, Jay Hughley, made this one dumb trucker comedy album, but his dad's life story is fascinating. And then I found these guys, um, who it turns out, I didn't know until later, are in this book called Enjoy the Experience, which is a book that's like this thick that is filled with um, vanity presses, which is, I have a problem with that term, but that's just me being picky. These are, both their records were self-funded, self-released, and you can only buy them by mail order 
but they paid oh. enough money. So like a vanity project, that's Abs- the idea? Yeah, exactly. Self-published book. It's, and sure. it is more of a vanity project even than anything I've ever done because these guys were not professional comedians in any sense of the word. These were two okay. guys from Virginia, one of whom hey, lived in New represent. York. represent. Yeah. Oh my God, I grew up in Virginia and I live in, in New York. You're so in New York. Do you, bring it do you have family you go visit in Virginia? Yeah, my whole family's still there. Okay, they're all still there. Okay, so, well, what would happen is um, Dawson, uh, sorry, Harold lived in, in, in Virginia and stayed there his whole life. He worked for, he worked in D.C., so he worked in the, the Pentagon with computers, so really? he had a lot of money. That's how he could afford to press two separate records and pay for ads in the Village Voice and shit. Um, uh, Dawson was a cartoonist, um, which, like, the first cover doesn't doesn't really give, sh- show that at all. This cover, though, like, the art that he does on here is beautiful. It's wow. wonderful. And you can see there's a walking, talking computer there. Um, sure. And he uh, hand-lettered the back of these. Beautiful stuff. I, I love oh, how they look. Yeah. He lived in New York. He worked for, like, Reebok or, 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 no, Foot Locker or Lady Foot Locker. He worked for a few different corporate entities doing, like, graphic design and, and cartoons his whole life. But once a year, he'd go down to Virginia, visit his buddy, Lemuel, or Lem, Harold, and they would improvise. Lem. Lem. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah. And they would sit and improvise around a wire recorder first, and then eventually they had a reel-to-reel. And I didn't see. I didn't know what I was getting into when I interviewed Dawson, who was the one who's only uh, the only one alive at the time. He actually just passed away this January, so neither of them are left. Talked to him for a while. He didn't remember a whole lot. His brother was there to fill in the details. Um, but when he told me that they would get together like once a year, rec- get a uh, like a big old pack of Pepsi and record for eight hours at a stretch. Oh my god! And that's a wild idea. Now you'd think you'd think with eight hours of recording. You'd come back with the, maybe some of the most brilliant comedy that's ever been put together. Um, it's fine. It is barely comedy. <laughs> it's barely comedy. Like, literally, one of the voices he does is of his dog named Silver. Uh, and it's just this. Oh, hi. Oh, look at you. Oh, that's fun. Oh, well. Oh. The accent's still there. Oh, well, So it's fun. very much a guy that works at the Pentagon trying to do comedy. Is that right? Yeah. But it is, it's two podcasts. That's all it is. It's two very amateur comedians who never perform live, which by the way, my best friend and I have never performed live, but I dare say some of our comedy uh, efforts are a little stronger than this. I'm not insulting them. I love these (laughs) records. Yeah. But if you... That sounds so charming. That's part of it. Like the charm is there. Um, If I remember correctly, there's nothing racist, which is why I kind of stuck around. And I'm like, okay, good, good, good. These these two couple of idiots are (laughs) just... Trip over how low that bar is, but okay. I know, I know. It's so (laughs) fucking rough. And so they're just like, oh, well, well, what's happening? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, well, oh, ha, ha. And then they'll laugh at each other. They they leave that shit in. And um, they're worth it. Um, I mean, just just for the sake of listening. But again, this came from eight hours a year or maybe more, like eight hours per sitting. Uh, I don't know how many times they sat per year. And, it's just um, what they did. It's what they did. And, like, my best friends and I always, when we got together, would shoot stuff or record stuff. And I was just like, oh, okay. these guys were so us in the 60s. a real kinship towards them. Absolutely. Because yeah. they're I, just hanging out, having fun. It's so good. And, like, like yeah. And the arts. I the mean, arts the word amateur yeah. means lover of. And so that That's seems fair. like exactly what we're talking about. You know, just people that have fun, hang out, mm-hmm. do their thing. And, and I, how on earth did this fall into your hands? Um, uh, okay, so there's a, 
Okay, so there's two record stores I have to rep in LA. Now that I'm gone, I'm sure there's something to right? discovered. Amoeba's great, but those are that is not among the two that I would pick. I love Amoeba, and I shop there all the time. I li- literally did all the time. But yeah. I worked near a place called Record Surplus, and that is maybe my favorite for comedy. Okay. Mostly because they would have their segment, their section for records that were in okay shape and they sold for usually four dollars a piece almost always four dollars up to 20 if it was like a really good one or a rare one but then they had the attic and the attic was 50 cents a pop so i would come away um sometimes once a week with 30 records which is why my collection got so big because i would just get a pile this thick from the attic yeah just in terms of feet Uh how many comedy vinyls do you have well that's a good question because these are what? These are like 13 inches. So one, two, three, four, uh, four, five. Like on six. a shelf. Probably, if it were all, it's like probably eight feet is my guess. It's okay. Like, it's like five or 600 records. Um, so it's Oof. not that much. Um, That's a lot, my dude. <laughs> uh, I got some people who uh, will actively try and compete with me for that number, which is fine. I'm not in the it's competition. Not a contest. It's not, yeah. but it's very funny. I know some people who are like, yeah, well, I got 5,000 records. And I'm like, that's insane. <gasps> Great. That's wow. cool. And I've seen the collections, they're legit. Um, are like, they like 30 years older than you? Can you be their friend and get on their will? They're a little bit older <laughs> than I am. I'm friends with all of them, but it's very funny. Like when the you can hear the, a little bit of the competitive part. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I would love to you see You guys should start a library. Uh, this museum. is my thought. I really hope that both of these gentlemen that I can think of right now, um, out of the several I know, the two I know with the most records, I really hope that happens someday. And that it yeah. goes, like, like that's... Yeah. It ought to. It really, yeah. really should. Because a lot of them also are like... Um, not one-offs, but so rare that maybe nobody owns them anymore. Like they might right. be the only one left. That's they should start a blog and digitize them all, or something. I agree, they should do this, but that's not. That's never going to happen. But I agree. I absolutely agree that that should happen. I, I, that's you know, I don't know. Preservation is is important of this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, anyway yeah, so though. long story short, in the $4 section, I found this dumb looking record. I'm like, I never pay $4 for a record, which is insane, right? I never pay $4. Yeah. But this looks, no, this might have been 7 I'm like, this is too good looking hey, to big not buy. Spender. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I'm like, fuck it. I will buy this. And I listened to it, found out they had another one. I said, I have to buy it. Bought a couple copies because yeah. I needed a clean copy for my friend Taylor to clean up for me. He cleaned them both okay. up for me, actually. And, um,. I just was like, I don't know what I'm listening to, but I couldn't stop listening. And it uh-huh. immediately occurred to me that this was very much a podcast. And I'm like, this is this is kind of fun. And like it was a matter of weeks before I, I talked to to Dawson on the on the show. And I don't know. How did you find him? Uh he was in the book. That's the best part, is when they're just in the book. There's so many <laughs> people who are just in the book. Fa- famous people. <laughs> famous people. Famously, um, what's his name? Tom Lehrer is in the book. He will not interview. But he's in the book. Oh. He's very easy to get a hold of. But he will. It's also it. shocking how many very famous people are just their name at Gmail. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's uh. I haven't weird. experimented with that, but that's what everybody says. I, I yeah. love that idea so much. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> just know. if you're listening, take <laughs> your favorite celebrity, just send them Put an email with their name at Gmail, <laughs> see what happens. Oh, Start it with re. Uh-huh. Lie, say you're someone else. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also interviewed the, the widow of the other guy, of, of Lem. Oh, wow. And so the one thing that has not come out of this yet that I really want to is I think somewhere, I think she's got a garage full of tapes and wire recordings. <gasps> and I'm, Where I'm does like, she live? She lives in Virginia. 
Um, and I come visit my family, right? And let's go see. Do you know where in VA? I don't, but I have family there too, so I, I have no excuse to not go. So, well, yeah. if you worked at the Pentagon, they're probably in Nova somewhere, right? In Northern Virginia, I, I would guess. I'd, I'd have to find out. Um, That's where my family is. I, I want to convince her to like give them to me so I can digitize them all, or somebody who's better at it. But somebody, I, I don't. Yeah. They're gonna rot. That's my concern. Is that kind of stuff gonna right. rot? And I. It, you can tell her, you know, you can plead that case for her, right? I'm going to try again. Especially now that, unfortunately, that Lawrence has passed away. She's the only person left who would have any control over this. So I, I really, because he had none of his art, original art left. Because I was trying to, like, not con him, but be like, hey, if you've got any, please, like, send it to me and I'll preserve it or whatever. Like, I right. desperately want it. And also, sure, if you give me one, I'll take it as a present. But, um, this art is beautiful. It's, it's, it, this is the, like, the, the thing into which the most effort was put was his wonderful lettering and cartooning and um yeah yeah i don't know again the the charm was the fact that he reminded me of of my best relationships growing up and still my my longest lasting friendship and it's not a lot of like the whole the whole theme of this show is supposed to be about finding friends through comedy which fortunately for me has happened as a result of the podcast a lot you know, Hi, present company friend. included. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And people who like by and large are smarter than I am about comedy. And I love that. I love mm. because I've never painted myself to be an expert. I've tried hard not to. And so right. I just want to learn more stuff. So I'm just meeting people who are smarter about certain parts, p- parts of comedy or people like yourself who know more about all of comedy than I do so that I can learn. Well, it's from it. it's not about that, but it's about having someone that speaks the language about having also someone true. where you can say something and they'll know what you're talking about. Like That's that true. is worth so much to whether or not they know more or less than you. Mm-hmm. The fact that someone has some image in their mind when you say Will Rogers right. like means something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's fair. That is fair. You know? Yeah. Also, it, talking about this record, this is something I preach fairly often Mm -hmm. but i'm a huge advocate of adults having hobbies Uh which you wouldn't think i'd need to be an advocate for (laughs) but i just love it like there's so many people i've been watching especially post-pandemic a lot of comedians are starting to let their personal lives and their hobbies creep more into their social media presence okay as opposed to just filling it with like shows and promotion and it makes me so happy because you know you can't post every day about shows when you're in a pandemic when you're doing like one zoom show a week but like sarah schaefer her Mm -hmm. instagram is half her comedy and half her like dollhouse making hobby oh my god that's amazing and it's so cool yeah like let adults have hobbies get into something learn a new skill learn a craft something you can hold in your hand or Mm -hmm. something you can share I just, I think it's incredible. I think it's really important right now because yeah. so, so many people don't read anymore. So many people just like work and watch TV and sleep. And sure. it makes me sad because yeah. there's so much out there. That's so true. get together with your friend for eight hours once a year and <laughs> live oh, your life. By the way, I love if, I, it. if I ever did that for eight hours with and we'd kill each other, there's no way we could record for eight. I, you know, that's a lie. If we were drunk, we probably you could. could. But it's just like that is it's so it's a like, bad idea. Um, so that people it's like unequivocally a bad idea. It is, I think. But it, it's romantic. It is the most romantic yeah. friend thing to me that they could get together for eight hours and just it sort of has like a sandlot vibe you know yeah just kind of like i don't know long days and summer nothing to do no responsibilities and he specified like being a kid he specified he drank a lot of pepsi and that's a very (laughs) cute detail 
Oh. Starving. And he, and, he, and he did. He sounded like this the whole time. He just had the cutest little voice, and he's like, yeah, we get together every... Oh, oh Wayne, Wayne, how long did I know that guy for? What? When oh did I move God. to New York, Wayne? And it was just like yeah. every other minute. Appalachia like, preciousness. So fucking adorable. <laughs> Uh, it was just, it's one of my favorite interviews and like that made it worth it like that. And then the Dick Davey thing came a few months after that, but like the whole yeah. process of like trying to dig into people's lives that nobody, well, I don't want to say nobody gave a fuck about, but nobody was digging into. So, right. you know, you're an archivist. I, you know, I, well, I hope so. That's how I'd like to feel about it. And I yeah. don't know, that's, th- that's one of my favorite things that came out of it. I'm hoping I could re- like re-release these digitally or something. Cause they're not out there and you know they're probably it's probably a better value if you buy them both as one record because again they're they're not experts at comedy so yeah you know it's it's uh, it's good though <laughs> incredible okay number three this is modern scream fire uh, girl lily Tomlin. this is 75 yep um i'm gonna start this with a i'm fully aware how white and male this show has been and while i've joked about it i have tried to fix it but i don't think i've tried hard enough that will be my one great regret at the end of this show is that i haven't made it white uh you know uh, i i have not had enough minorities on the show enough women on the show um it's been too much of a white sausage party and i so that's why i have tried to make well, sure that i pay attention so is to your subject though I, it's true. This is true. Um, you're you're not wrong about that. Um, um, so Mary Birdsong tipped me on to Lily Tomlin because I only knew Lily Tomlin as an actress before then. And I'm like, oh, she had albums? Like, so much of this has been that. And then Modern <laughs> Scream is like, it's not stand-up. Because stand, she didn't really do stand-up. She did like it's these character, character sketches. But they were like it's strictly, sketch. yeah. But they were just so very strictly, you know, one person usually talking to somebody off stage possibly um every once in a while but there's also a mix of um the making of this album is on here there are interviews where she's interviewing herself as this other character who just started talking to well lily it's just like that the whole record <laughs> and it's this and again i like i like breaking of the format i i like uh records that know they are records or are about the making of the record you're listening to which is right. obviously impossible and i think wonderful and I don't know. It's a lot of people introduced me to like uh, Albert Brooks's records on this podcast, and I love them too. But I don't think hers get enough play, and I think that's one of the reasons mm. I loved it because I wanted to talk about it more so that people know that yes, Albert Brooks is out there, but so are Lily Tomlin's and Modern Scream is, I think, the best example of them. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I think the other ones are more strictly like this is one long bit, like it's just you know it's it's and it oh, doesn't have sure. mix. It doesn't have this like, is this. a weird little mix, yeah. Yeah, and I like that. I like records that can't strictly be nailed down to. It's just a sketch record. It's just an improv record. Um, yeah, yeah. It is one of the weirder things on this list, mm-hmm. just in terms of categorization. It kind of defies that. My uh, my, my friend, favorite was sure. the one with her. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> 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 no how about you go how about you go no well in a rare moment of difference hold your thought though please because i want to hear what you have to say but my friend yeah. Tennille had never listened to an album a comedy album at all before when i invited her oh on the show 
And I'm like, she's like, do you have any suggestions? But I didn't know that meant she'd never heard one, period. So I'm like, yes, I do. Listen to Modern Scream and we'll talk about it. And we had a frank discussion about what she liked and what she didn't like. Um, She she had no, like, loyalty to speak of. She didn't have to be nice to Lily Tomlin in what she liked and didn't. And it was a, and then she's like, oh, I've never heard a comedy album before, period. And that was, turned out to be episode 300. And I'm like, this is kind of perfect. Like, 300 episodes in, I get to introduce somebody to the concept of the comedy album. And fortunately, Tennille's very smart. How is that possible? She just, well, yeah, I mean, she's 10 years younger than me, which doesn't mean anything, but she's like, just her exposure has been entirely different than mine. And I, yeah, you know, which is weird because I guess she probably grew up in a, she grew up in a state that I think of as rural, but she probably grew up in the, the, uh, you know, the urban part of a very rural-ish state, whereas I grew up in the urban part or the rural part of an urban state, New York. Yeah. You know? Every state has a city. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she probably Where's she just, from? Uh oh god is it from Nebraska fuck I, I, I always <laughs> here's the thing I know so many Corn. Nebraska and Iowa people I think Nebraska if I'm not mistaken fuck okay. I'm gonna feel bad if I'm wrong about that but I think it's Nebraska but she's from the big city of Omaha uh, right probably is my guess <laughs> uh, sure you know but her exposure is totally different but it is weird that no no comedy albums entered her life Right. Like, I would listen to them in the car on road trips as a mm-hmm. child with my family yeah. before I was aware of what that was yeah so I'm not sure I'm not sure. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lily Tomlin's a good one. I know her as an actress, obviously, and I know some of her, like, more one-man show type stuff. Because she, she's won a Grammy. She is, like, respected as a comedian. But I'd never heard of Modern Scream. I wasn't familiar with it before. Yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah. It's a fun time. I like it. It's weird. <laughs> it, is, it is also, like, a very it's weird. Odd. And it's, it's a mixed bag where you might not like all this. Like, they're not all up my alley. But I think the mix is what gets me. Yeah. And there's the, there's there's free to do it you know she felt free to fuck with it right which is always such a gift so there's so few people do Mm -hmm. there's a sketch towards the beginning where her neighbor comes over and starts confessing that she's been eating rubber and so she goes on this little tear of like rubber bands ends of pencils the bottom of my mom's cane like (laughs) called rubber freak so you're supposed to assume that she's into kinky rubber sex stuff and yeah sure then yeah that's so fucking (laughs) dumb and i love it the best part is when you hear Lily kind of playing herself on the phone, talking to someone else, and the woman is, like, continuing to talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very charming, very absurd. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, special, yeah. really special. It's a good one. It's okay. one of the ones that can, can continues to grow on me as the show goes, because, you know, we've talked for some, some records we've talked probably a dozen times about, and while some of them are my favorites, I don't care to ever talk about them again. Ever. Interesting. Ever. You seem to have a real fondness for things that are not easily categorized yeah i think that's probably true because while like my one of my favorites is like i don't know smothers brothers or the purple onion very easy to categorize i love class clown even though we've talked about it a million times the stuff that that mixes uh, that fucks with the expectations of what a comedy album is that i I don't think i knew that stuff could exist before was like yeah oh oh this really is the art form i i always wanted it to be You gotta get into the deeper shit to see what it's mm-hmm. all about. Sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. And I wouldn't have. Speaking of, them. yes. Speaking of stuff, things don't like things that people don't know exist, or like a weirder side of things. Mm-hmm. Number two, knockers up, Rusty yes. Warren, nineteen sixty. Yes. Oh my god, let's go. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, so I see it in your hands. Let's yeah. Talk number about one, it. that is not her on the cover. She made sure to point that out. That is some model, just a couple models. That is. Her Why did the they do? Back then. Don't, don't fucking know, because I also think she was adorable, and she's on the cover of most of her albums anyway, so I'm not sure what the deal is with this record. 
She had so a lot of rude. problems with some of these these record producers and a lot of people. Can I tell you, you know, one of the most like she so I interviewed her for three hours with uh, Mike Warden, who uh, should be thanked uh-huh. extensively for giving me his audio recorder for, for the first four years of this show and never asking for it back. Um, yeah, he's a sweetheart. And he was there with me. My wife was there with me. We interviewed her for about, like I said, three hours. And I knew enough about her, but uh, as you can probably tell from some of my interviews, I do go in a little blind. I just want to know what they have to tell me. I Larry King it a little bit. I want to know okay. what's important to them. Um, so, and it's fine if you go in with all this knowledge of them, but like she was, <laughs> okay, this is going to tell you how like fucking ignorant I was uh, and still am, but you go in, <laughs> at no point did I expect her to like, not just tell me this story. So anybody who doesn't know, she was a body uh, comedian who did a lot of jokes about sex that would be considered tame now, but were so risque in terms of like, she was just trying to appeal to housewives to make them feel comfortable with sex and joking about sex and talking about sex. That was all she wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. I interviewed her and like, we get into that and like, but she's so casually, and this is what broke my heart, but also like made me realize how strong she is and how strong all women are. But she got into just like, Stories of near sexual assault or, you know, Ugh. like these things. And she so casually tells these stories because she knows that they're, oh, that's just part of how it is. That, that, and oh, I was just like, and it's just, just accepted like, reality. Yeah. Not that she was cool with it. She was, she would obviously be like, give them a big go fuck off. And I think, you yeah. know, she was probably an intimidating enough woman. She scared a few of these guys off, I hope, or all of them. But like, you know, like this was a moment in my life where I was like, oh, oh. Oh, that's how that's how that's how that that you live as a lady comedian, yeah. and, 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 and you know, you can live with that ignorance for a long time if you're not a woman, and and uh, sometimes your whole life. And I'm, I'm lucky that she's the person who who like made it so clear to me. But like, it also broke yeah. my heart because I don't like the idea that any woman has to go through it. But like that she right. has had to like adapt to it in such a way where that's like no, that's just part of how you got up in the business was had to put up with men yeah how they wanted was it also just a matter of a woman talking openly about sex in 1960 men thought that was just fair game i'm certain it was i'm absolutely certain it was because men i won't when i say men i won't say men as a rule but most of the men i've known yeah god but men are always looking for you know permission to be as weird or open as they can and then it it goes from open and weird to creepy instantly and i feel like sure sure they'll they'll treat anything as 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 an invitation which i don't i don't get i don't understand why that is but i've known plenty of men especially in the industry who are like that and um when you hear the stories and and again when was this i think i interviewed her in 2012 maybe very early into the show 2012 or 2013 and uh, that was a that was a fucking wake up call. And also, again, one of the best interviews I've ever had. And wow. um, there were one or two times where you know she was just like, where, where I'm like taking the risk of being like, so were you trying to do this with your comedy? Which, by the way, is a huge risk if you're like if you don't really know shit about shit and you're like, okay, so I get the impression that you meant this when you're talking about this. And she's like, that's exactly what I meant. And I'm like, oh, I can Yay! I can ask the right questions. That's fun. So I think I think this was like um, speaking with her was like a, a big moment in terms of. Um, just realizing I could interview people also. Yeah. And that what did she do connection. with the, the latter half of her career? Um, she, I mean, she went, she had a pretty big, like she went from clubs to clubs to clubs to clubs. And then by the time, I think I'm guessing the last third of her records, which by the way, if you ever have the opportunity to listen to all like 15 of her records, it's so funny how like 
every record, a third of it is new, but the two thirds of it are what was on the last record. Like, it's right? Just, like, I mean, that's so a lot much. of these older party Absolutely. records, though. Like, and, that's Red Fox too, isn't oh, it? Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You can just hear it, and I love it. I just love it. She's like, yeah, replace this bit. Um, but she ended up playing in Vegas. Like, she did Vegas. She did a lot of different stuff. She, but she never. The thing is, she always hated that she never got to do Carson because Carson didn't like her being dirty, which I think means she didn't, he didn't like women being dirty is my, is my, how I translate that. And she never yeah. got to do Carson. So she never had that, that kind of career, but she still worked in Vegas. So she did fine. Um, yeah. I don't know how much I can even leave in this, but she's unfortunately going through a lot. She's still alive. She's going through a lot of shit right now. Um, Why? I, well, I know her, um, her archivist who is like also a very close friend, but now uh, Rusty, Rusty ended up basically she's in the hands of somebody who seems to be trying to control her estate and um, oh, and, no. and like yeah like she not in danger but not not well and so I don't and I there's literally nothing I can do about it if not if there's nothing her archivist and friend can do about it but she's being kept from her and can't talk to her so it's one of those tragic stories that I, I hope to God nice. has a happy ending soon it is it's breaking my heart because like genuinely it's so scary yeah genuinely like rusty's a friend like and that is one of the first times where i was like oh wow i you know like i had a genuine connection with her planned to meet up with her a few more times which never happened but we talked a few times and uh just a sweet lady just and like honestly groundbreaking genuinely yeah. groundbreaking you listen to these you're like okay these are kind of goofy tossed off jokes but no it's a lot though there's a it's, lot going on it's not just a wink like it no. is straight up about sex it's yeah. not just like euphemisms yeah. like she'll go there yeah and i love rad. it and that's my favorite kind of not to be puritanical or something but i love the <laughs> i love the old school version of dirty yeah it's just so playful it's so charming mm-hmm. and it's 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 incredible so very much very much enjoyed your listening to this i know my grandma used to really like rusty Wallace, really think of her uh, friend of the show yeah. nancy bookman my grandmother <laughs> i love that she loved rusty warren that's so good yeah it, that's part of it though like i mean that was it's the joy is is the whole thing like it's the fact that she's smiling the whole time while she's talking about this it is not as you say a yeah. it's just like a, no we all fuck and she doesn't mind that i don't know that she ever used that word on stage but she's still saying we all fuck and we're supposed to enjoy it by the way ladies and etc etc <laughs> like this was this was this is feminist it just people aren't going to look at it as feminist because it's not the prototypical feminism it is it had to be done in a certain way to succeed and to still make it into clubs so and what an important mission yeah to like get housewives to think critically about their role in this and you know what they deserve that's important yeah such a big part of life and i i just feel like her part in that is undervalued and i hope it doesn't stay that way because i i think i think that's huge if you consider how big comedy albums were at the time when you consider like how many copies of the first album first family i've been able to buy because it's everywhere um, yeah. that was reaching everybody comedy albums were the way to reach people for this period of like you know maybe 20 years and she was in it and she was doing something with it and it's yeah. wonderful she's another one who I would like to see more in the canon yeah. because it's really typically just like well there was Moms Mabley and Jean Carroll and then every woman that started in the 70s <laughs> yeah. and they also lump her in with like Sophie Tucker and, and Belle Barth who were both filthy as fuck like bell barth was really filthy and great i love filth i'm fine with filth but i i i i like her brand of comedy just personally better and 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 i feel yeah. like she was had more broad appeal and i don't know yeah i agree with you is what i'm saying 
I have a science subversive and approachable. Yeah, agreed. Showy, even I, though this is audio. It's buried. Unfortunately, oh, it's buried. packed. So I'm sitting here bragging about a thing I can't even show you. I idiot. believe you, though. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for number one? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. This is number one, mm-hmm. 1973. Mm-hmm. The Incomplete Works, Carl Reiner, and Mel Brooks. I forget that this is 1973, but to be fair, this is like a decade's worth of comedy being put onto one, more than a decade. Of course. Worth. They've been doing this yes. for truly, they did it for 50 years. Yep. So pick any year you want. Yep. <laughs> and the first time. Wait, which one do I talk about with Scott Ackerman? I think it was the Cannes Film Festival record. Um, but there's three on here. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a three-record box set. Uh, 2,000 mm. Years, which is the first one. 2001 Years, which I think is the second one. They did a few in between, like they did 2013, and eventually they did more after this. But then they had Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks at the Cannes Film Festival, which was like, let's do the same thing. Let's do the 2,000-year-old man, but he gets moved to the second side of the record because we've got some other bits we really want to do for you guys. Um, <laughs> including Adolf Hartler. I'd forgotten that was one of the characters on it. Of course it was. Mel Brooks puts Hitler in everything. <laughs> so good. And, th- and this, this is... I mean, I was trying for uh, years, obviously, to get Carl Reiner, and I have been trying for years to get Mel Brooks. Um, Mel Brooks is, is my hero. Carl Reiner is maybe the unsung... You know, one of the unsung fathers of TV, and I know that sounds funny to say because Dick Van Dyke's one of the biggest shows of all time. But people don't talk about like not only his role in creating it, but um, I will say this: Alan Brady is one of the best TV characters of all time. I'll say male TV characters of all time because I love wow. Bastards with a Heart of Gold, and that's one of my favorites. Okay, <laughs> oh, such a good character. Him, Bill Co. You know, yeah. No, keep going. No, it's him, him Bill Coe, and, and, and Phil Hartman on News Radio are like the three top dudes who play assholes with a heart of gold. Then there's, um, you know, there's uh, Betty White on um, Mary Tyler Moore is also mm-hmm. up there because that character's a piece <laughs> of shit, but like <laughs> deep down, like she, she can be sweet. Uh, there's, so, oh, oh, honestly, and um, uh, my brain is fried again. Also, Cloris Leachman on that show is also kind of yeah. a shithead, but a great fucking character. Um, but Mel Brooks is just, I wouldn't be doing comedy if it wasn't for Mel Brooks, I don't think. Really? I, I don't think so. Like, I always, that's not true. I always want to do comedy, but like, it's the type of type of comedy that I've wanted to do and have continued to want to do, which is satire. And yeah. making sure that if I'm going to continue to love comedy and keep doing comedy, that it always has an edge of satire because I need, personally need my comedy to have a purpose. So, mm-hmm. you know, and these are, these are brilliant. Like I was talking to... Dan Schlissel of Stand Up Records the other day about how I've never heard a pure improv album because uh, they don't really exist. They're always like they used to be improv, but they were turned scripted like Nichols right. and May or even the SNL record or well, definitely the SNL record, but the um, the Second City record from the 60s. And these right. are these are in there as well. But these have more moments of fuck ups and like uh, clearly them having to riff when, the, when Mel Brooks is being an asshole <laughs> <That's> <laughs> one of them, when he's clearly throwing curveballs at, at Carl Reiner. And every once in a while he'll do the same. But like genuine improv on a record that almost never happens i think right the, like the only other one i can think of right now at the top of my head is the the crank the crank uh, the slam creek sit um cbb album that they did a couple years of ago. course and creek. So good. and I, I want to see a pure comedy album that a pure improv comedy album come out but this is like uh, as close as i can think of someone will correct yeah. me and i'm fine i would love to hear it but like 
basically somebody needs to do like a bat which is the improv show in the dark and make a comedy record of that so you can hear people yeah. fuck up you can hear them bomb like rarely right. do you hear these two motherfuckers bomb but they definitely throw some duds out there and there's some joy in that right and that's how you can learn you know when you listen to polished album after polished album mm-hmm. sometimes you want to hear the off nights it's sort yeah. of like how Watching a comedian try out a new bit on stage is almost mm. always more fun than when they've told it 200 times because yeah. you want that juice. You want them to be like, you know, a little bit of hesitancy, like mm-hmm. working for it. You know, if it feels too rote in comedy, it's often gross. And there's the thing that, you know, a lot of people growing up or a lot of people who don't stick around and don't know anything about the industry are like, the, the, it was kind of this old thing where like everybody assumed that all in, all comedy was improvised that nothing was ever written people always used to oh, think that radio people would do that or people everybody on tv you must all improvise or you must nobody used that right word. well but, that's sort of the goal is to make it feel sure. casual esoteric extemporaneous all of that but i like the stuff i like i like the opportunity to let people see what it's like when it is genuinely improvised and that is mostly it's 70 percent eating shit and most <laughs> most improv sucks I, I do improv and I love going to see improv sometimes, but most of the time it sucks. And it's just like, to be fair, I've probably not gone to all the right places, but I've seen <laughs> a lot of people eat shit and um, it can yeah. be funny. And I'd like to hear Yeah, well, it's just human. It's mm-hmm. just a fun moment of human vulnerability. Yeah. And that can be increasingly difficult to find, you know? Agreed. And I feel like. We I also just like... have to say, yeah. have there been two lovelier human beings? No. Oh, my God. No. Just friendship goals times 100. Yeah, Just I mean... sweet, good boys. They're the other two guys. Like, if um, we got Dawson and Harold, and Brooks and Reiner. Everybody knows those are the two that we all are <laughs> always looking towards. But, yeah, I, those two guys spending every one of their nights together. Uh, I had on uh, Corey Ryan Forrester the other day, and he was telling me that he... He spent his 31st birthday with Mel Brooks because a, a friend invited him over to a party where Mel was. Mel got up on a stage, started singing to him, sang him happy birthday, or up on a table, started singing happy birthday to him. And then he's like, hey, yeah, I got to go because uh, Carl and I are having dinner. There was nothing that would keep him from that. He was at a big party, but he's like, no, nope, I'll leave. I'm getting out. And yeah. uh, I was like, oh, that's so Ugh. good to hear. There's nothing yeah. that would keep him from his Carl Reiner. Come on. They just loved each other. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I know, and you just you don't see male friendship represented enough. It's no. just so beautiful. beautiful no, and it's, it's, it never gets to be love. It never gets to be romance in the pure sense of the word, which doesn't have to be sexual. Romance can can be any number of things. Mm. That's why I like the movie Hot Preach Fuzz. Preach it. Hot Fuzz is a purely romance, romantical movie, and they're you know I like that they they left it up in the air. Like yeah, I don't know, they could be gay. They they could have a sexual relationship, but that's not what the movie's about. The movie's Focus about the on romance what matters, part. though. Yeah. yeah, like the love part is what's there, and like that's okay. And if you've ever, by yeah. the way, if you've ever heard Simon Pegg or Nick Frost, watch them interviewed about living with one another and how they would like sleep in the same bed and spoon all the time. That's the cutest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Those two, by the way, like if they had ever really, you know, exactly. I could have also busted out my, my Shaun of the Dead soundtrack. That would be the, the other like more recent, like more contemporary sets of heroes just because I like those three guys and I like what they put together usually. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you have a million <laughs> that could make for mm-hmm. many more similar lists like this, yeah. but I think this is a beautiful ten you've put together. I hope so. I hope it had something. Uh, I had almost nothing to say about them, but but it was a fun time talking to you about them because you had good questions. So 
Yeah, always a blast, always a blast. I hope you have some fun other projects, and it's been such a blast to be a part of this one. Thank you. Um, yeah, I do. I've got a few things. I'm just going to try and not make everything a podcast for a while and just concentrate on on the two that I'm stuck doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stuck. It's me and my best friend getting together. So, you know, it's, and I want that to turn into more of an involved comedy situation because there's more and more improv. And I want to make more comedy is also one of the things. I'm yeah. Doing. Even if it never goes anywhere financially, I'd like to just make more comedy. Sure. Otherwise, it's him and I just bullshitting about our very boring lives. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Which has always been part of it. But I'm like, do you, you know, let's see if we can turn it into what we used to do, which was always making jokes. And that's fun. Um, yeah. Katie, thank you for interviewing me, first of all. Such a blast. Um, Such a blast to be a part of. And fun to go through all of these rad albums. Thank you. And thank you for uh, coming up with the, the suggestion for how to do it, because I wouldn't have known what to do. Um, this is going to come out in October sometime, I think. Let me see. Let me make sure I have the date right. This is going to come out October 27th, right before spooky, spooky Halloween. Whoa, times. that's do the day you, after my birthday. It is. Um, well, happy birthday. Um, thank you. Do you I'm 28 now. You are. Do you want to pro- promote? Well, not now in real life. Sure, sure. Do I want to promote anything? Yes. Uh... Two weeks ago, uh-huh. I spoke at the Mark Twain house, and it went beautifully. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Amazing. <laughs> JK, I'm still nervous. <laughs> Hopefully it goes well. Uh-huh. When you're listening to this, I'm sure it went great. Mm-hmm. So you can go to their website and watch that, because they store them all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Check out my YouTube channel. Check out whatever I'm up to. Support me on Patreon if you mm-hmm. want. And uh, let's talk about comedy more. That's sort of what I do. Does Sweet. that sound right to you? Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. I actually, in real life, it's May, mm-hmm. and I actually spoke at the Mark Twain House last night, so I'm speaking there again in October. That's amazing. But really, really fun. Yeah, I was there with Wayne Fetterman, mm-hmm. and we promoted his new book, and we talked about Mark Twain's role in the history of student comedy, which is something I feel very strongly about. That's good, and I'm glad that he, he must, I'm assuming he shares it, because it is in the title of his book, isn't it, somewhere? Is yeah. It in, yeah, yeah, somewhere. yeah, it's from Mark Twain to Chappelle. Okay, that's right. Okay, good. Clear line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Distinct, obvious, yeah. No, I love that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I will say it's nice having the two of you on within a few days of each other uh, in terms of recording. So again, these people have heard Wayne months ago, but uh, yeah, no, the, the the two of you have a very have the roughly the same energy about about comedy, and I appreciate it. It's good. Yeah, we've become good friends lately. I've really treasured that. He's a delight. He's a nice guy. What's so funny really is I legitimately is. thought he didn't remember doing my podcast. He's like, no, I love doing it. Let's do it again. <laughs> he's oh yay! Yeah, he's a sweet guy. <laughs> um, well, yes. Katie, thank you again. This is a delight. Everybody should go listen to your stuff and watch your stuff. And, you know, I'm sure you'll have a million selling books sometime soon that people should read. Um, Hey. That's fingers crossed. Um, Thank you. uh, And thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. 
It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!